0: What a mighty God, blessed every single day by Him. If you will open your Bibles as we remain standing for just a moment to 1 Peter 18-21. through For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, but ver- or who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Praise the Lord. Pastor Herring, if you would please pray, sir, over service. Oh, holy and mighty God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Jesus. Let the word have perfect liberty, God, bind distraction and barriers. In Jesus' holy name, amen. What a mighty God we serve. So you may be seated. Excuse me. I was never much of a baseball player. I think I lacked the hand-eye coordination, though I hate to admit to it. But one of my favorite feats in baseball to watch is a base runner steal a base, especially home. I mean, it just wells up in me. It's like, oh, what a steal! Right there, it grabbed it right out of the clutches. Now, 50 times in MLB history has a player stolen second, third, and home in a single inning. One single player in one single inning. Of those 50 times, the Philadelphia Phillies have three in their record. And right in the middle of those three, in 1980, Pete Rose completed that feat. That's incredible. It's not just one stolen base or two, but it's three in the, same, in the same go. I mean, I'd be huffing and puffing by the time I got to first, let alone going for more. But he was known for his hustle. Amen. Amen. And I could not find commentary on that specific inning, on that specific game. But if any of us take a moment and, and let our imagination or our recollection uh, go towards the announcers and the commentators that do such an exceptional job at, at telling us those games as we hear them on the radio or so on and so forth, I can just, I can see it in my mind as the crowd's just erupting, going nuts, and announcer just, just saying, or, or this is what I would say is, what a steal, look at that, what a change in momentum, that was the game-winning point, amen? It's exhilarating. I mean, what a a move, what cunning and perfect timing and agility and speed for a player to steal from the opposing team what they thought they had guarded and kept. Thought there was no way it was going anywhere. But so much more exciting, and I hope I can convey this to you because my excitement and faith meter continues to grow as we go through these facts. So much more amazing is what I call the greatest steal of them all. When the Lord Jesus, God manifest and robed in human flesh, robbed the grave. Amen. Come on. What a steal. What a steal. Not only for him when he rose from the grave, but for you and I because he enabled us to do the same. There is nothing like it. Nothing like it. Amen. Nothing like it. And as we read in our opening scripture, in that last verse, it is by him, by him. His blood, His sacrifice, that our faith and hope might be in God. So we have faith, hope, confidence in Jesus and His sacrifice that He provided for us. Our faith can be encouraged in several facts that we find within that whole transpiring of events of the sacrifice of Jesus. The first fact is the solidity and absolute power of the offerer, of the one making the sacrifice. 1 Timothy 3.16. If we look at that, it says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was God robed in human flesh. So knowing that, we can then move on, one God. we can then move on to seeing the traits of Jesus who made the offering through looking at the traits of God himself. This is where uh, facts are building my con- I mean, just I'm up to about here now, because I'm so excited about, about how amazing it is to have the offerer have these traits. Revelation 22:13. He's the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Psalm 62, says that power belongs to God. He owns it. He doesn't own a part of it. He owns power. That goes above my ability to even understand. And Psalm 65, 6 says he is girded with power. He owns it, and it's wrapped around him. Amen. Daniel 2 and 20 says wisdom and might are his. He's got power. He's got wisdom. He's got might. He owns them they are not on uh, they are not being lent to him they are not passive he owns them romans 11:33 says his ways are past finding out we see in luke 21:33 that his word shall not pass away it is eternal psalm 19:7 that his word the law his word is perfect and we can attribute this eternal and perfection to God, because in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. Amen? So my faith, it's starting to come up, because this, the offerer of this offering is God Almighty. He, the Alpha and the Omega power belongs to Him. All these attributes, wisdom, might, perfection, eternity. I, I'm going to have confidence in whatever that person offers. I am going to have confidence. It's starting to build my faith, even if it was at a low level. I can put trust in that. The second fact is what he offered. In Isaiah 59 16, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. He became the only intercessor. He peeled back time in a way that I cannot understand, looked forward back and in between, and found no one. Could not find anyone that could do it, so he became the only intercessor. Because, in verse 18 of our opening, as we read through that, we're not redeemed by corruptible things. Silver and gold will not do. They expire. They fluctuate with the market. Greed becomes an issue and they, in the right or the wrong conditions, whichever way you want to look at it, can break down to nothing. They can be gone. And that, that will not do. Hebrews 9.12 says, we are not bought by the blood of goats and calves. They are flesh. They are relative to the flesh. They will not do. They are not sufficient. So, that is where it gets even better. Those would not do. Things of this world, corruptible things, things with an expiration will not do. So the sacrifice had to be perfect and without blemish, making it an indisputable fact that the sacrifice or the offering was as we read in our opening, 1 Peter 1.19. It was. 1 Peter 1.19, it was the blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Nothing that expired, nothing that had fault, nothing that even had the potential for fault. So, our faith can continue to be encouraged. I'm getting up to about here. I I just, I cannot express enough my excitement over this that the offerer and the offering are both perfect. There is no flaw. There is no reason for us to struggle to have trust or faith in the value and solidity of the offerer and the offering. We can take immeasurable confidence in what God has done. Which brings me to my final fact or final point that I would like to share today. And that is that the math simply states that one plus one as normal with God does not in fact equal two. But rather the offerer plus the offering, is equal to eternity. Amen? The equation that he put together is equal to eternity. It carries eternal weight. And the result, as I touched on earlier, is an absolute steal. God knew the price that he would pay. And don't for a second think that because I'm mentioning a steal that he did not pay a price. He paid a price that I could never pay. He knew that full well. And that's part of the amazing part is, I mean, what a bargain. He knew that I would never be able to pay him back. But he chose to do it anyway. His value of you and I is so incredibly high that he was willing to pay a price none of us could ever return. Amen. Amen. But so he paid the price with blood and sacrifice of himself. And he stole you and I from the clutches of hell. Amen. Uh-huh. Come on. I mean, what a steal as he slid in there. I mean, hell wants all the company that it can get. It, misery loves company, but it had no idea what Jesus' sacrifice would completely accomplish. 1 Corinthians 2.8. If we bring that up and look at it. It says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it. They would not. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Exactly. They saw God out on the field, but had no idea he was headed for home. Amen. They had no idea. They would not have made that trade if they had known, if the enemy had known how many saints were going Am to be I'm pulled I'm out I'm of the grips of hell. I'm Amen. I'm Amen. The enemy of our soul thought that that was checkmate, Checkmate. excuse me, but God had much more in mind. He had you, he had your friends, your family, your community members all wrapped up in grace when he went to the cross. <laughs> Ephesians 1.7 says that it's according to the riches of his grace. I'm working from the back forward. It's according to the riches of his grace that we have forgiveness of sins through his blood. It's because of his grace in his blood that we have a chance at this. And in John 3.16, mm-hmm. it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten right. son, right. that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right. It's that whosoever believeth in him part that becomes my workload of all this. And to say it a workload almost gives it a negative connotation. I mean, I've gotten a loan with zero interest that just requires me to come as close to God as I possibly can. I've been given a new chance that I could never purchase myself. He just wants me to be as close to him as I possibly can. So a big part of that faith is, is or that belief, believeth in him, is having faith in the sacrifice and the cleansing power. Good. Good. Of the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice he made. The blood is to get us past our sin. Okay, It's not to keep me held back under a lid of condemnation. The blood was applied so that I would have faith and use that faith to get past right. what I had done before. Amen. That is such a pivotal part. To the seasoned saint, it's faith that he willingly died and his that His blood might cover our sins okay. when we're following Him to the best of our ability. And, and we get over our past failures and meet Him in repentance, faithfully knowing what the blood can do. Amen? All right. Thank and you, to Lord. the one who's just heard the gospel for the first or, or first few times, it is that exact same thing. It is faith that He chose to die for you so that you could live anew. But also, it is also putting action To that feeling of faith that starts to well up in you. Because we're all given a measure of faith Mm -hmm. from the beginning. And it's no accident that that is magnetized to the truth, to the gospel. It fits like a puzzle piece. It was designed to do exactly that. And it's taking that measure of faith that we're given and putting it into action. If we look at Acts 2, 37 and 38, Mm -hmm. it says, we'll bring it up. Praise the Lord. This is this is the beginning of our part. Now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart. They heard the preaching and it had effect on them. And they didn't just ignore it and discard it and count it up to I must have had a uh, stomach ache or not been feeling well so that's why it affected me. But they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles. They said to the preacher, "Men and brethren, What do we got to do with this? What do I do with this feeling that maybe I don't quite understand? And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, so that the blood can be applied and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right. So, as Pastor Herring comes, take that verse 37 take the preached word of God when it pricks you in the heart, apply it. Ask him, move on that. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.
1: Today we are reading. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that so much. Brother Rick, where are you? Biggest hypocrisy. And professional sports is going on in Major League Baseball and others right now. Pete Rose, as he mentioned, banned from the Major League Hall of Fame, even though he has numbers superior to Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle, Bonds. But he's banned because he bet on baseball gambling. And yet today, the government, the government is sanctioning legalized betting in every major sport. Don't get me started on government. You hear me? Get me started. And the man has no hope of ever going where he belongs. You talk about being robbed now. See, you got me thinking, brother. Praise God. Job chapter 29. And we, you don't have to stand. just We're going to read since I gave you the first four verses, I'm actually going to have Brother Brad read first verse 11 verses, King James, Job chapter 29. Anybody ever read the book of Job? Job is considered poetry, but not in the sense of nursery rhyme poetry. It's supposed to be, as in Hebrew, po- poetry, poetry is supposed to speak into the heart of those doing the reading. It's personally attached to something you are living or should be living. Job 29. Follow along as he reads it, please. Moreover, Job continued his
2: parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me.
1: Oh, that I were as in months past, when the days that God preserved me.
2: Yeah. When His candle shined upon my head. And when by His light I walked through darkness. As I was in the days of my youth. When? days days of my my youth. Yeah. When the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. When the Almighty was yet with me. When my children were about me. When I washed my steps with butter. And the rock poured me out rivers of oil. When I went out to the gate through the city. When I prepared my seat in the street. The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. Read that one more time, verse 8. The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. The princes refraining, talking, and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace, and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me.
1: The title today is The Struggles of the Mind, Struggles of the Mind. I know the answer already before I ask the question, but for the sake of a platform for this thought, does anybody ever struggle between your ears? Do you hear voices that cause confusion on occasion in your mind? Do you hear accusations and things that cause pain in your heart or cloud up your thinking in your mind, in your head? Do you ever muse along the lines of how much youthful ignorance may have personally cost you? Do you ever ponder, meander, Wander down that trail. Get lost in thought about how much different life could have been if you wouldn't have been that particular person. Now, I'm preaching to myself here, all right? I'm not throwing stones at you. But I have wondered if I had not been so stubborn, if I had not been so hard-headed, if I had not been so rebellious, wanting it. I mean after all 21 I knew everything. Just ask me. Now I know there's nobody else in here you're getting a good chuckle at me. But you can just enjoy it for the day. Your laugh, all right? Have you ever mused along the lines of I wonder how much I lost just through the struggles of my youth. How much could have been avoided? How much did it cost me? I'm not asking you, do you live in regret? But at the risk of sounding negative, so much of youth, so much of our younger days are spent or decided on the surface value of things. I ran away with him because he was so handsome. I quit my job because she was so everything I wanted. Surface value. I went in debt for that car because it was I had to have that car. Sure. Surface value. I'm 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 reading you my personal profile here. I took that job against good advice because the pay was so tempting. So much of younger days, my younger days, Brother Joe, were were just led by surface things. It looked good. It smelled good. It tasted good. It felt good. It sounded good. I want it. Surface value. When you're young, your eyes are wide open. When you're young, very often, Brother Rick, energy exceeds intellect. When you're young, you feel immortal. You feel ageless. You feel timeless. You feel imperishable. Bulletproof, brother. Let's do it. But when I was young, I couldn't handle boredom. downtime was a cardinal no no when you're young believe it or not most of the time you're a puppet to your emotions funny how some of it doesn't change even when we're older i'm mad at you emotions string us along And I don't know why it is, Brother Josh, but sometime in the morning, if your first hour goes really bad, the whole day just tumbles into a... If that first half an hour I get angry or I, I break something or I spill my coffee or I or hurt myself doing something, it's like the whole day shot. Oh, Pastor, I thought you were angelic. Yeah, you don't know me, do you? When you're young, you're a puppet to your emotions. Listen to this now. When you're young, you very often think that God is for old people. It's not about right. Job 33.25, the man spoke of a man returning to the days of his youth. Brother Rob, you ask me on any given day, nine times out of ten, I'm going to tell you at my age, I wouldn't go back for nothing. There's no way. I envy your youth. I envy all of your gusto and enthusiasm and ability. About 12.30 in the morning a month and a half ago, whatever it was, I was out on the tree stand all by myself, and I got down by that animal that I had just harvested. And I thought, "Oh my goodness!" I thought I can't even roll him over, much less get him on the four wheeler. I'm looking in my through my contacts. I'm not looking for old men's numbers. No offense, brothers. I'm looking for young, vital. Men, men that go from calm to beast mode when there's work to be done, man. They just do it. They just do it. And of course, when I call my son, he's like, hello. Oh. But about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, here he come. And I'm, I was so thankful for young, vital, energetic Let's get this job done. I don't care what, how late, how long. Man, I'm sitting there going, man, as the days I was young. Thirty-three, twenty-five of Job, he was pining for the days when he would have the strength of a young man all over again. His youth would be renewed. I'm going to show you a scripture, though, that just startles the, I don't know, shoes right off my feet, spiritually speaking. And it's in the CEV, we're choosing Contemporary English Version. It's the scripture you've all probably committed to memory over the years, 12 on Ecclesiastes. Remember now, thy creator in the days of thy youth, King James translation. But CEV said this, keep your creator in mind while you are young. In years to come, you're going to be burned down. Don't talk that negative stuff to me, pastor. Talk to the Word then, if you don't believe me. Here's a man of years and experience. By the way, Solomon died at 70 years old, just like his father David. He ascended the throne at 30, just like his father David. He ruled in Jerusalem 40 years, just like his father David. At 70 years old, he was put in the ground, just like his father David. My dad died at 83. I hope I can live that long. Solomon said, when you're young and strong and ambitious and vital and energetic, keep him in your mind. Keep God in your mind. Because I guarantee you the prophecy will come to pass. You are going to get to that crossroads. Am I right, Brother Plowell? When you're going to be burdened down with life's struggles and troubles. And you may not say this with words, but with actions, you're going to say, I just don't enjoy life anymore. I'm talking about the struggles of the mind. As he aged, Solomon got reckless. Sister Playa and Sister Dakota, it pays if you're looking how to spell a word to look in the right direction, because I stand corrected in what I told you this morning in the booth. you got to spell it right if you're looking for it in the dictionary. That's confession, not <laughs> correction. Solomon got Reckless. As a young man, he had, his, he had his compass set on points of life he was headed to. He wanted to do this there and do that here. And he set out like a ship on the ocean who's charted his course, knows where he's going. But as he gets old, as he stays in church a long time, he gets bored with church. Same old songs. Same old preachers and teachers. You used to be excited on the front row. You were jacked up, man. You were full of youthful enthusiasm. You got the Holy Ghost and you were excited about God. Yes, sir. What's happened? What happened? Come to church now. Oh, I've heard this. Oh, I heard that before. Wish he'd learned some new phrases. Wish he'd learned some new stories. Huh? Go ahead and chuckle. That's what's happening right there, though. Solomon got reckless. Same man that brought the glory down when he prayed. Now he's bored in church, watching his clock. Doesn't Pastor Harry know? I have Friday, I have Sunday afternoon things too. Doesn't he know? Five years ago, you were on fire, bringing visitors. You were bringing visitors, telling everybody in your family, compelling them to church, dragging them in. Struggles of the mind. On the verge of absolute insanity, Solomon wrote this scripture, Ecclesiastes 1.14, all is vanity and as senseless as chasing the wind. That's what vexation of spirit means. Not not Holy Spirit, spirit of the wind. Check any other translation. Everything is a waste of time, he said. It's like chasing the wind you'll never catch. We're not talking about some wayward rebel here. We're talking about a man of God. And the thing about growing cold as we age or at any time in life is that we hide it so well. We hide it so good. It sure it's quiet in here. We hide it so good. We know how. Raise our hands and look spiritual. We always come to the altar. But God knows inside Solomon is, is separating himself from the things he used to love. Yeah. So, this indifference that was forming as he aged, this apathy... As he grew older, struggle in his mind. You know, there's no, there's no sin in struggling. You know that, right? There's no sin in even questioning. There's no sin in saying, God, are you even there anymore? If you're not doing it to humiliate God, elevate yourself, you're just struggling in your mind can't make spiritual reason out of anything anymore. I'm so encouraged on church days, and I'm so discouraged on other days. Struggles of the mind. If you'll be honest, you'll admit, you struggle on occasion. You have to be old enough to remember this, but at least be familiar with the name, but the 1970s, the 1980s, even into the late 1980s, There was a man who made his living playing chess, the game of chess, an American named Bobby Fischer. Bobby Fischer was the world chess grandmaster, not master, but grandmaster. Many people in that world, and it's bigger than you think, considered Bobby Fischer to be the greatest chess player who has ever played the game. We like to play chess, some of us do, and you feel like, "Mm," you get this little intelligent look on your face like, I'm pondering my next strategic move. This guy played for a living. I'm not making this up when I tell you that at the height of his intellectual accomplishment, Bobby Fischer would make $100,000 a weekend winning chess tournaments around the globe. A weekend! Brother, they put, they put his tournaments on nationwide television back then. To chess game. It takes him an hour to make a move. Strong and They said Bobby Fischer's IQ was at a minimum 170. To put that in perspective, put that in perspective, Thomas Edison, 150. Albert Einstein, 160. Charles Darwin, 165, Bobby Fischer, in excess of 170, a brain, I mean a mastermind, but as public information, as Bobby Fischer aged, he began to lose his mind. He would lose his mind on public, and during public interviews, he would just go random and crazy often to things. He had every filling, and there were many, in his mouth removed because he publicly stated nefarious voices were speaking into his brain through his dental fillings. I mean, it sounds like mercury poisoning to me, you know, but publicly stated he had them all extracted because there were powers speaking into his brain that he could not control. I'm not talking about some little Alcoholic over here who's struggling to get sober moments. And I'm not putting anybody down for struggling, but I'm talking about a man who controls his mind every day. Pumps it full of knowledge and skill. Lost his mind. What in the world? What's more confusing? The indifference of youth or the remorse of old age? I've quoted you before the results of one question in a survey that they asked people 80 years of age and older if you could just alienate or point to one, one thing in life you regret. Just one. I'm, there's numerous, but give them one the major thing you regret. And they said, worrying about things I couldn't change. Number one answer. Spending hours, days, weeks, months, years, worrying about things I couldn't change. What's worse, the indifference of youth, eh, that's just old people trying to control my life. Or the remorse of people looking back. Romans 7.23, again. Look at the scripture, please. This is powerful. Uh, once again, see Evie. Romans 7.23. The Brad, would you read that for me? Romans 7:23.
2: But in every part of me I discover something fighting against my mind, and it makes me a prisoner of sin that controls everything I do.
1: But in every part of me, I discover something fighting against my mind. Struggles of the mind. Struggles of the mind. So, let's extract from the profiles of faith one name today. You won't find his name in Hebrews 11. I said from the profiles of faith, not the chapter of the Hall of Fame, none of that, but just from men or women in the Scriptures that stand out because of their faith in God. A man that had the enthusiasm of a youth. No experience in the the man his age. We're going to see it in a moment. But out of that profile is a man named Josiah, a Jew named Josiah. If you were to look at his life like a supervisor would review a resume. Josiah, interesting. Where he's been, Not he doesn't have much experience. He's never worked here. He's never. He doesn't know anything about this over here. But the Scripture very plainly says he sought God in the days of his youth. 2 Chronicles 34. Brother Joseph, read for me, please. Only four verses. Second Chronicles thirty four. Yeah, into the mic, please.
3: Josiah was eight years old when he began to how rain. Old? Eight.
1: What? Nah, I'm hard pressed to listen to an eight year old tell me how to stall my horses or clean my corrals or set, you know, civil legislation in action. But he was eight years old when he began to rain. Go ahead.
3: And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. Thirty-one years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left.
1: This dude was focused.
3: For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, He, 16. Began, to, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah, and Jerusalem from the high places, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. One more verse. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were hung high above them he cut down. And the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images, he break in pieces and made dust of them, and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them.
1: A 16-year-old boy who's a wrecking ball for the kingdom of God. 16-year-old young man. Why is it when you're young? I heard it. I'm sure all of you young people do today. When you're young, people say, you're too young for that. And trust me, when someone my age gets around young guys, they're all like, "Ah, he's too old for that. Struggle in the mind, that's why. We're not satisfied on anything other than where we are at the moment ourselves. Sixteen years old, he goes into Jerusalem. He goes into this nation and he starts uprooting and turning over and rebuilding and repairing and restoring because he walked by faith. Listen. Listen. I love David. I'm I'm in kindred with Hiram. The writer of Kings said Hiram was ever a lover of David. Get rid of your nasty 2019 thinking here. He loved the ministry. He loved the man David. Not sexual inclination here. This is true friendship. I love David. How can you not? But Josiah, Josiah exceeded David. He was more faithful than David. You, you, you will look long and hard in the Bible or in any extracurricular commentary to find anything negative said about Josiah. Anything! Dude got up on Monday with his mind, we're going to work for God today. God got up, dude got up Thursday, we're working for God today. It is our job to make a difference, in our time is how he lived. There's going to come a day, Josiah, when you look at life and say, it isn't worth it anymore. So while you are sane, while you see clearly, Josiah would say, while I've got strength in my back, let's work for God. While I've got a muscle that can move a rock, let's move it for the kingdom of God. If it means knocking doors, handing out tracts, inviting people to church, while there's strength in your body, let's work for the kingdom. Josiah was more faithful than David, more dedicated than Hezekiah, more focused than Solomon. Because he walked by faith. This is not anything new, but you realize faith defies logic sometimes, and faith confronts tradition sometimes, and faith refuses to bow to fear all the time. My final point: Second Chronicles, 34, or yes, thirty-four, fifteen. I, I gave it to you, I believe. You know what David said? This is not what I'm referring to here. Leave that on there. But David said in Psalm 37, I have been young. Now I'm old. I know David died at 70, so he couldn't have been too old. But whatever he was thinking about, he presently considered himself old to the way he used to feel. I have been young. Now I'm old. That's Psalm 37:25. if you're making notes. What did David say about being old? In all of my ups and downs, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Hey, wait a second. Think about that. You ever have bad days, Brother the A couple? Ever have a bad day, Brother Rich? Sure. And, and what your bad day may take you places that his doesn't and vice versa. Bad days are bad days. And David said, in a good time or a bad time? When I was defying everything God had ever done for me that was good. When I said, I'm sick of it. I'm never preaching again. I'm tired of it. Tired of it, you hear me? David said, even in those times when I was, I was losing my mind. My my brain was struggling for sanity. I couldn't make anything logical come out of my mouth because I was angry, I was depressed, whatever. David said, even then, he never forsook me. He never abandoned me. He never cast me off. My dad used to say it all the time. Brad, Grandpa used to say to me, he said, son, he said, every, every time I thought about it in my life, whether I was 30 or 75, he said, it seemed like the moment I was in was the best time of my life. Second Chronicles, back to, back to Chronicles, please, 34. Amen. Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Micaiah delivered the book to Shaphan. Don't have time for a history lesson here, but they had rebuilt the ruins of Jerusalem, especially the tabernacle, the temple. And when they're trying to glue things back together and piece the past into the present, things that were torn apart yesterday. They're trying to renew them so they're usable today. They find something. Something that had been lost. They found something that had been missing. It's no wonder that ruination happens or occurs when we lose sight of the Scriptures. It's no wonder we, we, we go back into flesh and carnal things when we lose sight of the Scriptures in our life. It's no wonder the temple's tore down. The church don't mean anything anymore. You're bored out of your mind in the house of God when you've lost your adoration for the things of the Word of God. Brother, I stand. I stand on what I've said for as long as I can remember. There is nothing more sacred than this book today. There is nothing more sincere than this Word. There's nothing more true and no more applicable to your life in this Word. It will stand when everything around us, including ourselves, go away. That Scripture says right there, the moment, the moment they started putting their life back together, they found something that was missing. It takes faith to put your life together, attempt to put your life together. It takes faith to try to rebuild the things that have been ruined by the world. You're not going to do it if you don't feel like it's going to, it's going to be fixed. I'm going to, I'm going to be better off. Struggles of the mind. Everybody has them. Not ashamed to tell you, everybody struggles. But the thing that faith will do above all, at least for the moment, I want to say it to you like that, it will open the Scriptures in a brand new way. It will open. Faith will. Faith will. That's what David meant when he said in Psalm 103, verse 5, that, that my strength, renew, he'll renew my youth like the eagles. I don't want to be young again. I mean that. I, I'm not, that's not false humility like, oh, inside I'm longing. Are you kidding me? No way I want to go through stuff I've already gone through again. So there's blessing, whatever end of the spectrum you're on today. Do your best in the moment that God has given you. Make a difference. Make a positive difference in the moment God has given you. Don't be a spectator. Get involved. Put your hands on the plow and work for God. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be wealthy. Just do something for the kingdom of God. It takes faith to do that. in spite of your mind telling you otherwise. You do know you can control this thing, right? that takes a lot of power to control this thing. (laughs) You can do it. You can do it. Struggles of the mind. God, we thank you today, your mercy and goodness, what you've done, what you're doing, what you want to do in our life. We thank you for caring, God, beyond all explanation, expectation. We thank you for being there. A present help in the time of need. I thank you, Lord God, for being merciful to me. Merciful to me. Merciful to me.